previously on the Sports Refuge Podcast. I caught a lot of heat for this, as you all know, uh, picking against the Patriots last year. I'm not doing that again this year. From Delaware, almost live, this is the Sports Refuge Podcast. This is the weekly podcast featuring interviews with guests discussing their connection to sports. And now, here's your host, Earl Holland. Welcome to episode 51 of the Sports Refuge, the weekly interview show where guests discuss their connection with sports. I'm your host, Earl Holland. When it comes to game shows, there's been many well-known contestants, Ken Jennings, Lieutenant Tom McKee, John Carpenter, Michael Larson, and most recently, James Holtzauer. But one name you can add to that list is Vinny Veradarajan. If you haven't heard of him, you missed one of the biggest runs in game show history as Vera Darajan won 15 consecutive games on the game show Sports Jeopardy between 2015 and 2016. In this episode, I talk with Vera Darajan on his background involving trivia, as well as how he made it on Sports Jeopardy. We'll also discuss Vinny's collection of hats, what it's like being a New York sports fan, and what it was like experiencing the recent championship celebrations of the Washington Nationals and the Washington Capitals as a resident of the D.C. metropolitan area. Right now, here's my interview with Vinny Varadarajan. Vinny Varadarajan is a game show legend, Sports Jeopardy legend. He is the all-time winningest contestant on Sports Jeopardy. I'm fortunate enough to be the number two winningest contestant in Sports Jeopardy history, so this is pretty cool. I've been trying to reach out to him for a while. He reached out to me after my run. Uh, wow, it feels like it's been such a long time. and It's, a, it's, it's been a long time, Earl. It's been a long time. <laughs> and we've been trying to get this together for such a very long time. And I'm finally glad after different things, pushing things back, that we're able to do this. And I'm so appreciative that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to do this. And, and especially being patient with me, trying to reschedule so much. No worries, man. No worries. That's this real life getting in the way. So how are you, Earl? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. A little bit of sunburn from vacation, but uh, otherwise, uh, who knew? Brown people can get sunburned. I, I seriously never knew that. You know, I never thought that. I don't go to the beach at all, really. I always tell people I don't have a reason <clears> to get tan. I will go on the water occasionally, so that stereotype is broken. Well, but it, it wasn't even that. I, I was in high elevation, and so like just being exposed to high elevation, you got all the UV rays like popping through. Like that was a bad idea. So I I, I know what it's now like to have sunburn. So to all those people I joke to, I finally got mine. Yeah, and I just think, man, I've had some minor sunburn maybe on the shoulders a long time just mm-hmm. sitting out in the pool. But other than that, I guess the the plus of extra melanin that you don't have to worry about burns that yeah. often unless it's elevation. It, it, you know what, though? Higher elevation, man, they take no prisoners. It, you really do need to put suntan lotion. That's that's what I learned. And you know, it has to be exciting, especially being in Peru. How many times have you been able to get out of the country, especially to vacation? I try to go like once a year, like do a new, do a new spot in, in the States and then uh, international. Like in the last few years, I've gone to Korea, um, Hong Kong, went to uh, London last year to catch a few Premier League games. And then uh, did that whole traditional going to Iceland thing, the very millennial thing of going to Iceland and uh, did Oktoberfest last year. So that was pretty fun. So, uh, yeah, the travel's been pretty good. Um, but there's so much to see here at home in the States. So it's kind of fun in both ways, you know, like what's here in the United States versus what's out there in the world. Yeah. And I think about two years ago, my first time going out of the country and that was to the Bahamas. And then we did that again recently where we went to Bermuda, then the Bahamas. And it's always a good, 
uh, it's always a good trip, especially now, now, now does sports jeopardy pay for that trip? Uh, sports jeopardy paid for the first trip. Second time that was tax money. So but... one of the perks to winning, that's one of the perks to winning a few game shows is like, you have a little bit more uh, running budget. You know, you don't have to just pay the loans off. You can enjoy yourselves with the money. Yeah. And I always thought about that. I mean, my hope is eventually get on another game show, whether it's Jeopardy yeah. itself or plenty of the other ones out there. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about that opportunity to do that again. I, I was going to ask you, when the idea for Sports Jeopardy auditioning for the show came up, what led you to go out for the test and, and do that? So it was just really fortuitous timing. Um, I was going to grad school out in Purdue, and I had a summer off, so I was back in New Jersey. So I was uh, working for my professors remotely from New Jersey where my parents live. And I think I saw like a Deadspin article, rest in peace. I saw a, uh, an article on Deadspin about the show coming out, and they had like uh, a link to signing up. So I just signed up, and they said you could take a test in New York. And so this wasn't even an online test. This was a physical like be there on-site test. So... I guess this was 2014 and I took the test and I, I still remember like it was a hotel ballroom in Times Square and I saw people like dressed very weird. Like people were dressed in sports jerseys. One guy came in with like a sports almanac, like one of those like big, big Bill James um, like abstracts. I'm like, what the hell are you coming in with this for? Like, I think I had like, I think I came in like a t-shirt and jeans and I was like, okay, this is an interesting um, cross section of people. But um yeah, I think it was like a 30-question test or 50-question test. And then if you pass, you stayed behind. And uh, the casting coordinators were there. So really, like, it's a two-part thing with game shows. The first part is, do you know your stuff? And the second part is, how will you be on TV? And so the second part is where, like, you know, they know you know your stuff, but they want to make sure you're not going to freeze on TV or you have a personality. And I think my goal at that point was to be extroverted as hell. Um in terms of, you know, stick, you know, like kind of like separating yourself from your peers, you know, any interesting stories, the way you talk. And so um, I still remember one of the guys in my group actually ended up on the show the first season. And uh, so it was pretty cool to see somebody that you saw your audition. He was like rapping. He was a lawyer who rapped. And I was like, yeah, you're definitely getting on the show. I was like, I have no shot. And so the first season came and went and I never got a call. So I honestly was like, okay, I gave my shot. And then literally a year later, it's summer 2015, and I got a cold call from, uh, was it Culver City, right? That's where the yeah. show's based out of. My phone said Culver City. I let it go to voicemail, and then, yeah, it was definitely from Source Jeopardy. So, um, yeah, that was definitely a very fun day. Uh, I was not expecting that for sure. And it's crazy because the way you did the test, it's like the old school days of how people used to do it on Jeopardy. They'll go out to L.A., do the test, and that's it. And then you sort of wait. I mean, with technology, things have been a little bit better. But for me, when I did it, I missed the first uh, quiz for, I think, they were running in season two. And mm -hmm. then when they had the replay because of the technical error, um, I just pretty much uh, did that one, and I'm thinking out of the 30 or so, I think I got 25 out of 30. Well, wait, uh, you had a technical error, like your test was void? Uh, some people had the technical error where I think one of the questions, there was something wrong with one of the questions, so they just had a redo, and basically everybody was open to do the redo, and that's how I got in on that, and I oh, missed wow. the other one. So it was fate, I think, and just in there, I, I knew so many of those questions. I, I remember some of them off the top of my head one was about kenny powers uh one was a nats question i can't even remember who the player was it might have been 
I don't know if it was Tyler Clippard or if it was like uh, Chakradero or something like that. But oh, yeah, wow. I got yeah, that. I knew that. Like, it's really hard. Usually, like, the general ones are like, who won the golf tournament or something, or not like which random nationals reliever got x amount of saves that sounds pretty hard yeah i mean and i got it i mean and i know that mm-hmm. that quiz is on youtube somewhere somebody puts up all the old uh tests yeah for- yeah somebody puts the test up like the day of or something um i remember i think after my run um i was in california on vacation and for whatever reason like i was around a hotel room and i i decided to take the sports jeopardy test for fun like the online test and i was like yeah that's really hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i just oh man it was just so crazy because once i got the, the email going and then next thing i uh see is like oh we want you to come out to an audition uh in new york city and i'm like because i have to work that day so i'm like man i'm trying to scramble to figure out how oh it wasn't on, it wasn't on a weekend it was on a weekday oh it was on a weekend i had to work because the newspaper business oh, okay. is such a pain i had to basically go in Go lead me, my wife, one of my best friends from college, and his dad. We all drove to Trenton, took the train out when I didn't think about it. We just could have took the train from Wilmington, and we just went and to Trenton. And transit there. All right. Uh, yeah. Took took the train from Trenton to uh, Penn Station. Yeah. Um, you know, took in all the vibes of MSG, then walked down to that Weston in Times Square, and... You yeah. know, that might have been the same hotel that my audition was at, too. It might, it might have been, like, the Weston... Somewhere in Times Square. Yeah. It's one of those big hotels. Because that, that was the day Muhammad Ali died. So I remember oh, that distinctly. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because I okay. had not paid any attention to... I know he was sick, and they seemed like he was starting to make a recovery. I wake up in the morning, don't know anything of it. My ESPN yeah. didn't go off. As soon as I walk into that hotel, everybody's talking about Muhammad Ali. And oh, wow. Yeah, no. I think that was right around the NBA Finals, if I don't... If I recall. It was like... I think it was like in June or something because I, I remember I was in Miami and and I remember like getting to a hotel room at like two in the morning and I and I like caught Sports Center and they were like going into breaking news, so yeah, that was a crazy day. Yeah, it's just insane. And then you know I'm in there waiting in line for the the audition and get the headshot and everything. I remember wearing a flat cap and a jacket and everything because man, it's just crazy. And then we get in there, take the exam, and I look at it again. Those weren't as hard as I felt like they would have been. Some of them were like super easy on there. And after I, that, I get a feeling like the online portion is like they might be do that. They might do that as a screening, and then maybe they make it a little bit easier just to make sure like the person who took it online is the same person who took it. You know, you know, nobody took it for them. Um, I mean, I think you know, like Jeopardy. The way the questions work, like if you already bar trivia, like I can't get half the sports questions right. But Jeopardy has a way of like tying two loose ends. And so if you know like one area of the question and you're somewhat familiar with the second area, you can put two and two together and, and come up with a really good guess. And so it's kind of easier to like answer sports questions in Jeopardy than it is like in bar trivia. And after that, you know, once they, you know, they always do, they take everybody, they take the three by three, depending on how well you fared on the quiz. Yep. And then you do that and you play the game. And the funny play thing the is, is that you really learn about mastering the game and it's, so crazy because you see so many people and I guess I was doing it subconsciously. It's like I was going around the board. I wasn't doing the traditional down the list. Like I, I think everybody said yeah. James Holtzauer, how he basically worked from the bottom up, but I was just sort of going around the board and I didn't think anything of it. And I remember some of the tough questions were questions that were already on the show that nobody got, but I just remember from recall and like, I, I don't know 
if that helped. And I guess the personality shined. Uh, you know, Maggie, I think Maggie liked it. And I think Jimmy and all that. Oh, liked yeah. It, so. Maggie was there. She's such a sweetheart. And maybe you can, like, tell, like, what I loved about that show was on. Oh, God, this is a cartoon show. Uh, what I love about that show is that the people, like, the, the crew is amazing. Uh, they make that show. Um, you know, for anyone who, who like follow, watches regular Jeopardy, um, on your show, it's the same cast. It's the same like writers, the same producers, things like that. And so, um, they really make the show. Um, cause honestly, as you know, like when we're actually on the show, we only talk to Dan Patrick when we're on the air. We, we really don't like communicate with him otherwise. Um, but with the producers, everyone else like we're in close touch with and they really make the show go. And they're, they're some of the ones who help with the casting and they did a great job. Yeah. And they were such a great feeling, great people. I mean, they really tried to uh, make it as comfortable as possible. And after that, I'm like, it, it was over like that, and I'm thinking, okay, time they hit the train. I stopped by, got White Castle, got on the train, came White back. White Castle, there we go. <laughs> you know, the Harold and Kumar movies, uh, they found a way to uh, to subconsciously plant seeds in my mind, and I wanted to, <laughs> to get the White Castle not out of the frozen box, so I did all of that. And then came back, went to work, and I didn't think anything of it until I get this call because I'm working at the time. The shift was like probably three to twelve, uh, working in the uh, working in the newspaper. And then I get this call from Culver City, the same call. And then Maggie says, "We like you, and we're wondering if you could come out to California." She's like, "It's such short notice," but I'm like, "You mean I'm, in like two weeks or something, right?" Yeah. <laughs> I look at my I look at my wife. We talk about it, and she's like, "Yeah, why not? It's one." this might be the only chance really that something like yeah. this may ever happen. Yeah. You got to do it. And you know, it's, it, it's totally worth it. I mean, it's just a call. Like, like you said that you're not expecting it. It's, it's out of your mind. It's out of sight, out of mind because you know, you, you applied and you, and in your case, I guess you got a call a few months later, but for me, it was over a year. And so it really didn't register. I, I think mine um, was like a couple of weeks. Yeah. Like I was doing a temp job. It was actually the first day of my temp job in New York and it's around five in the afternoon and I'm just finishing up my first day of work and I got the call and I let it go to voicemail. And then uh, I think her name was Amy. She was also um, a producer with the show and she called. It's like, hey, it's Amy from Sports Jeopardy. Give me a call. And then I think if I remember the call, it was like, have you committed a crime? Uh, is your name Vinny? Um, well, if you answer no to the crime part, then we'd love to have you on the show in two weeks. Can you make it out to uh, LA in two weeks? And I'm like, sure. Who's going to say no to that, right? Like, you'll find a way. I think I actually called in sick to that temp job. Like, I remember calling in because I didn't have any sick time. So, or, or like vacation days for the temp job. So, I literally just like called in sick for those days I was out in LA. And then I quit the job after the show, too. So that was actually pretty fun. <laughs> and, uh, and for me, it was like, okay, I get the call. I was supposed to be all 4th of July, but in order to compensate for me to go those three days out, ended up having to work on 4th of July. And then basically we stayed up all night, drove to BWI, then went... It's a great airport, by the way. And, oh, God, did you take Spirit Airlines? Oh, no, please tell me you didn't take Spirit Airlines. No, we took BWI. Delta. We took Delta all the way up and back. Thank you. Yeah. I love BWI, but my God, that is a terrible idea. I will not take spirit from there to LA again. <laughs> I wasn't even taking a shot on that. We were just like, okay, let's try to find something. And 
at that point we're like okay can we actually get tickets at a decent price and that was my hope is like as soon as we get out there you know we'll try to experience what we can in those three days do yeah Hollywood were, you able, were, you, were you filming on a weekend or weekdays uh we filmed on weekdays it was wednesday through friday so basically since we got in tuesday night we got in early actually well monday night we got into tuesday got into la got into the double tree Tried to relax a little, then went to Dodgers Orioles at Dodger Stadium. Oh, uh, nice. Good timing. Yeah, it just worked out that way. And then we watched the game. We went to Jack in the Box, went to a Rite Aid where one of the people was looking at me very suspiciously, which is surprising because, you know, it was, you know, I say there's a Hispanic guy looking at me funny in LA. I mean, what in the world is going on? Okay. Yeah, I know. I, I don't know. But then, I mean, after were you that, wearing like an Orioles hat or something? Orioles like, jersey like and hat. Of... Orioles jersey hat and shorts. That's pretty much. Well, maybe that's. Well, not the shorts, was. but the jer- black jersey, black hat, black and orange hat, and just regular, like, like black shorts or jean shorts. And then. After that, you know, after we got our stuff, we met at the hotel. I tried to go to bed at a decent time, and then next day, that's not happening, this. right? You're, were, you, like, were you anxious the night before? Because I definitely was. A like, little. It, it was hard to sleep the night. Before. A little, but I knew I had to get up on time. I'm not gonna miss this. I'm yeah. not gonna screw this up. But before we get to the whole experience and the studio, I have to go ask: How did you craft and hone your uh, sports knowledge? Um. I think it's one of those things where you just acquire it over time. You really don't gain all the information over one day, one year. It's just you crafted it over time. Um, I think when I was a kid, like nine or ten, I had one of those like uh, you know world almanacs for kids. And then for whatever reason, the sports section like always stayed to me. And I got the baseball stats um, and then football. Also, like just reading the paper when I was a kid, I would go to the sports section. They had this little like tidbit about every baseball fact like this day in baseball history, things like that. I guess like NFL films, all that stuff, you know, you watch on ESPN after you got home from school, they would have some of that stuff. So it kind of all rolled in together. Um, But yeah, I mean, I didn't realize I knew this kind of knowledge, but then in college I started like realizing, Oh, I know some sports stuff and trivia, maybe make some money off bar trivia, some bets, things like that. And it it just added on like that. Um, Yeah. It's like one of those things you really don't know you're good at. And then, you know, you just acquire it over time and, you know, it, it becomes a benefit. Did you do any like quiz bowl or anything like that in high school? Something like the, along those um, lines? Yeah, I, I did. I think what helps is like my family always watched Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune like growing up. And so like I knew how to play the game and just watching the show, I, you know, like I feel like with the show like Sports Jeopardy in general, like it helps if you know the show and you know the rules, you understand how to buzz in. Um, and yeah, I did like quiz bowl and like high school college ball a little bit in in, um, my freshman year of college so i did a couple of those trivia competitions so they're you know it was pretty fun like so i was used to like ringing into the buzzer and you know things like that um but yeah it it really goes back to just when as a kid you know like watching jeopardy and then getting into some of these like little academic things and they definitely um helped along the way yeah, and I actually did that in college as well. Didn't do it in high school, but I did like four years Honda Campus All Star Challenge. Uh, yep. Yeah, basically, it, you know, HBC version of, of College Bowl, and yeah, that got me prepped for that because you know, growing up, it's like the same thing. I used to have like a cardboard box and index cards, and I would pretend I was a game show host. And every time read the question, I, I'd I, sort of do it, like put it right through the slot, and just keep going. Uh, 
you're, you're, you're going to make a brown man blush, but I definitely did the same thing too. My parents have like always like kidded me. It was like, Oh, you remember when you were a kid, you used to do that. And I'm like, Oh, don't remind me. So there's probably some home movie somewhere of me, seven years old, being a game show host in front of my parents. It was one of those fun things uh, growing up. So yeah, I, I, I guess in a way, like that's probably one of the reasons why we retain the information too, is like, we kind of like the format it's done in. And so it always made some fun uh, baseball questions. And then, you know, even you have some older coworkers, you know, who are baseball fans. We'd always like kid and do some little like sports trivia. Uh, my first job out of college uh, when I was living in New Jersey, uh, I'm a Giants fan. And my, my boss was from South Jersey. So he's a Philly fan. And we used to talk a lot of smack. Uh, most of the time, you know, Giants, of course, uh, we used to talk a lot of smack. And that, that kind of helps some of these little things like learning about like the 80s Eagles and Giants, I'm sure. I'm sure that kind of helped along the way. It's just crazy. And, and us growing up, especially in the 90s and ESPN yeah. when it was on the rise and, and things like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Or like uh, ESPN Classic, things oh, yeah. like that. I mean, like, you know, you have those like Stump the Schwab. And for those who may not know, um, Howie Schwab was actually one of the judges on Sports Jeopardy. He was a sports consultant. So, um, yeah, uh, there were a lot of those shows we grew up with. Uh, I don't know. What, were there any other big sports game shows? I'm, I'm trying uh, to think. Two Minute Drill. Two Minute Drill. With two Minute Drill. Okay. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Um, so, yeah, there's there's quite a few uh, going through. And then even like, you know, I'm sure you listen to your uh, drive time local radio station in New York. It was Mike and the Mad Dog, you know, or uh, Boomer and I guess Carton, you know, like so in D.C. it's the sports junkies. So, you know, you have all those little trivia things if you listen to the drive time, things like that. Yeah, when I was growing up in Salisbury, basically we had a lot of syndicated stuff. So back then we had ESPN radio. We'd get oh, it was I like miss in the hot, morning. Yeah, yeah. Actually it was that their their hot their station was a hot spot. It was I miss in the morning. Then they'd do a little bit of fabulous sports babe. Then they'd do one on one sports, uh, all the way through the night. So it was like uh I'm trying to think who uh, there was a lot of names, a lot of like names Jim that came Rome from there. or something like oh, yeah, that. Rome to um, Scott Farrell. Oh my goodness. Yeah. All those names. And it's just, it's crazy back then, especially we didn't have it tapping into a Baltimore market or DC market. So we just got whatever was national and all those names. Mm-hmm. on I think of sports talk radio, those, I, those, those are the first ones that pop into my head and, and it's crazy. And then, Really, I mean, living in Salisbury, all we watched was DC sports, Baltimore sports. So, like on Channel Five, it was Steve Buckhands, it was Gus Johnson, it was Chick Hernandez. Channel Whoa, F- Gus Johnson used to be in DC. He was a weekend guy. I, he was a weekend guy. Really? Uh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was weekend guy on Channel Five, and then uh, Channel Four was George Michael, uh, yeah, Wally Bruckner, Jess Atkinson. Sports Machine show used to air like Sunday nights in New York. I remember when I was in college or like high school. Um, I remember like, that's the only reason I know George Michael was because of, uh, the sports machine, which aired, like, I guess it was a national show at one point. Yeah. Um, I yeah, interned so. for it. I, I got the shirt. I got the, the sports machine shirt. I interned oh, nice, 2004, nice, nice. summer yeah. 2004, yeah, five that, weeks. That show had some crappy graphics, man. I'm pretty sure for like 2005, it was still like, like in the eighties. Yeah. I mean, but Hey, people loved it for just the, I guess the whole, the whole stick for it. It was, it's crazy. And being behind the scenes with him and it's just it's absolutely crazy he's less uh he was more sedated uh than he was on uh, the bombastic personality you see on tv pretty quiet and all that stuff but as soon as that light turned on that's when he was a master in action and that was pretty cool experience i got uh got to see a lot in the five weeks i was there and it's tv sports legend 
I heard that uh, on Sports Jeopardy that Dan talked about you would ride the subway and you would learn a lot of stuff. You're better at telling this whole story and probably clarifying it, but it was very interesting information about your interest uh, in riding the subway a lot. Yeah, no. Um, so when I was a kid, a toddler, um, I moved from New York to New Jersey, but I was always in um, within an hour of New York and I was used to ride the trains. And so that's what got my love for uh, New York engineering and then also uh, taking the train out to Yankee Stadium or to Shea Stadium, uh, you know, you have the elevated trains that run right by those stadiums or the successor stadiums. So it was kind of like a fun way to go about and uh, see New York and, you know, get out to sports venues. Um, even like uh, kind of fun fact, if you ever like are taking a train on the way up to Yankee Stadium, if you take the underground train um, the station right before Yankee Stadium is the old polo grounds. Uh, station, which is now where Rucker Park is for basketball, and if you're if you're ever like at that station, you'll just notice why are there so many staircases that are bolted up, and why does it look bigger than it you know should be for a small volume station? It's because the old polo grounds were there, so it's kind of cool history that are that's still around um, in New York when you go on these uh, subway stations. Yeah, that's got to be crazy. I know there's so many interesting places, and I, I always like get on Wikipedia. Sometimes it leads you down a rabbit hole sometimes, reading about different things. Oh, yeah, no, ra- random Wikipedias are great. I'm pretty sure, like, every stadium probably I've, I've checked out one way or another. Yeah, and I always read about the Ebbsfield, the apartments there, and Polo Grounds. They have that, yep. I believe, the platform that's there, uh, the, the the stairs that you go down. The yeah, stairs. the John Brush Stairway. I think oh, the great. Giants uh, actually contributes to the uh, refurbishment. It's like one of the last uh, vestiges of the stadium because um, it was uh, at the bottom of, of Coogan's Bluff. So, like, basically it was kind of in a valley, the old polo grounds. And, uh, yeah, it would have been pretty cool. Like, I've always wondered, like, what would have been like if we still had three teams here? I mean, granted, the Mets would definitely have not been created in New York. But it would have been pretty cool if we still had the polo grounds, some of these old places. Like, I'm sure in, like, 10 years from now, when RFK out in D.C. is gone, people will talk about it. You know, I was like, oh, this is where the Skins used to play, Senators, Nats used to play, and D.C. United. Like, I mean, it was a piece of crap stadium, but it was actually a fun place to watch a game. That's where a lot of people talk about Memorial Stadium in Baltimore. It may have yep. been a hunk of junk, but it was our hunk of junk. And Yeah, no, I think that was pretty cool. It was like a residential neighborhood, too. It was like in the middle of like nowhere. It wasn't like in the downtown area. It was actually residential. And, um, yeah, I heard that was a lot of controversy, like tearing down the stadium. Like they just raised it before anybody could like try to preserve it some way or another. Yeah, William Donald Schaefer was actually not very happy with it. I uh, about them tearing it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wasn't he wasn't he mayor of Baltimore when the Colts left town or something? Like, yeah. So he had like a very big connection to Memorial Stadium. Yeah, and then the whole band that will not die thing. You know, the fact he loved bands. That's oh what yeah, it. that was a great thirty for thirty. Uh, I uh, what are the, uh, so the band for the Ravens is the old Baltimore Colts marching band, right? Yeah, and they and they were able like to like save the uniforms. Like they hit the uniforms when the team moved to Indy. Yeah, and it's just crazy when you think about how those teams just sort of disappear in the night. And then I was sitting back scouring YouTube, finding the whole thing about the Browns moving to Baltimore. And 
it's such a yeah. different story there. And I mean, it's sad, right? Like, I, I don't know how a Ravens fan tr- treats that, like, or an old Colts fan. It's like, yeah, you got a team to root for, but at what cost? Like, you know, like, um, I don't know if you've ever followed the uh, SB Nation um, series chart party, but they did a great one on Cleveland, on the Browns. And it's just like, are the Browns really existing now? Are they really the Browns? Or are they an expansion team that should just create their own identity now? Yeah, which is crazy. And then they the, the term they gave the Ravens, the Ravens were the expansion team. The Browns were just deactivated for a few years, and then they would be reactivated in 99. And it's, you know, yeah. I mean, all the technical stuff. I mean, technically those Browns are an expansion team, no matter how how you shake it out. Yeah, I mean, I feel bad, like, right? Because, like, you think about it, like, what, what could the Browns have been if they had – stayed in Baltimore, uh, if they had stayed in Cleveland, you know, not moved, um, you know, Ozzie Newsom, you know, the Browns great was just starting as GM and what the first year, 96, they, they hit the home run. They get Jonathan Ogden and Ray Lewis in the same draft. And then this is after they fired Belichick. Like just imagine if, if everything had stayed the same and they just stayed there, like, you know, Cleveland would be a successful franchise with Lamar Jackson you know, two Super Bowls and, you know, maybe on their way to a third this year. Um, and then what the expansion Browns have, what, one playoff appearance to show for it in like, what, 20 years? And two winning seasons. And, and they went 10 and six one year and still couldn't make the playoffs. That's how, how tough oh, it was. Oh, yeah, the Derek Anderson years. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But you know what? Uh, if you're if you're a Clevelander, at least, you know, it's a good time. At least you've got the Cavs got that one NBA title that will be celebrated forever, you know down three one obviously the the indian row is going to be good um it sucks they didn't win the world series in 2016 but i'm like if you're gonna lose you might as well lose to the cubs right um so yeah it's a good time at least for a cleveland sports fan i mean as a giants fan i was pissed when odell went to uh the browns but um i don't know maybe they'll get their act together one day maybe yeah, and, and and it's funny. Don't like they say about the Warriors being up three one. Don't forget the Indians were up three one in the World Series. <laughs> yeah. Also, also, yeah. Um, that that was tough. But as a Yankees fan, Cleveland always gives the Yankees problems, and so I was like, oh, you know, like I, I, and that was just a series. I was I was just hoping we would go seven games, and I, I was still rooting for the Cubs. But you know, if Cleveland won, it was great too. I mean. Uh, Cleveland hasn't won a World Series since 1948. Um, so just think of that. I mean, that's up there. Obviously, 1908 is way further, but um, they right now have the longest drought in baseball. Um, and then it's been pretty fun living in Washington, D.C. the last few years. Um, we've had three major champions. We've had the Caps winning it last year, 2018, in the Stanley Cup. We had the Mystics just winning this past uh, summer and then just two months about a month ago we had the Nats win the World Series and that was insane so um, you know different cities will have their time that's for sure what was it like in DC when you saw all those frantic Nats fans celebrating the World Series Uh, it was great I was actually in the ballpark when it happened Um, they were on the road so I was at the stadium at a watch party so I was just watching it with some Nats fans and uh, it was incredible it was great to see um the fans get emphatic, you know, everyone's having a good time. Um, and I guess also I, I always, I always never know how to treat Nats fans because are they um, bandwagoners or are they, you know, cause this is DC. Maybe they're just picking on the Nats cause they're just a home team. Um, you know, cause like for me, they're not the nationals. Um, 
they are not the Nationals. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to say that, and you look at it, there's still times in Nats Orioles games, there's orange in those seats. Regardless, people may not fill the seats in Baltimore, but they will fill the seats in D.C. whenever the Orioles come to town in Washington. Yeah, I mean, I still think D.C. is becoming a baseball town once again. I mean, for 30 years, there wasn't a team in, base, in, in Washington, and Historically, Washington's always had a team in the American League. Um, the, the old phrase was Washington, first in war, first in peace, last in the American League. Um, the Nationals have found their niche. They have a great front office. Hopefully they sign Anthony Rendon because, uh, or Steven Strasburg because they can keep it going. But, um, you know, the Nats were one of those snake-ridden franchises. They can never get past the first round, you know. And there's always teams that take forever to break the seal, and they finally got through. The Capitals were like that, too, in hockey. Um they can never get past the Penguins in the second round. And then finally they broke through last year. And then, you know, both these teams really learned how to party because I'm pretty sure they're the most hungover champions I've ever seen. Um, so, you know, with sports, you know, it's, it's, it's an emotional attachment, especially with a sport like baseball. It's kind of like a religion, you know, like you're kind of brought into it by your family. Um, and it's funny, I'm a Yankee fan and not a Mets fan because of the dumbest reason. Um, growing up in New Jersey, uh, we didn't get the cable channel that carried the Mets. We got the cable channel that carried the Yankees. And so I could only see Mets games on the weekends. And that was with Ralph Kiner, who would always get his words mixed up. Um, but the Yankees, I got their cable and their regular over-the-air channel. So I was able to watch all the games. And um, the first year I remember watching Yankees games was 96. So go figure. I picked a great year to become a Yankees fan. So I kind of got hooked on right then and there. Um, it's just how it happens sometimes. Oh, that 96 season as an Orioles fan, that was the most frustrating playoff series. Ooh, yeah. And not even what, just Jeffrey Mayer. Can I ask a question? What would you say to Jeffrey Mayer if you saw him on the street? Like, he's with this kid. He's just walking down the street. Like, well, like, the 10-year-old and you just, like, scream and, like, an obscenity at him for ruining that season. <sighs> or, like, like, you see Tony Tarasco on the street. You're like, why didn't you jump for the ball? And seeing how high that wall was, there was no way he was going to get that. I think people are more frustrated with Armando Benitez for 97 because they, they steamrolled the Yankees. Wait, wait, are, you, are you talking about the beaning on Tina Martinez or are you talking about the playoffs? Playoffs because, yeah, oh, the yeah. playoffs because they steam, you know, they had a better record than the Yankees that year. They steamrolled well, they didn't play the, the Mariners. Well, they didn't play the Yankees because the Indians beat the Yankees in five games that year. And they steamrolled the, the Mariners. It was Tony... Oh, did he give up the home run on Tony Fernandez? Yeah, yeah, mm. that's the one. Yeah, just the fact that Messina had pitched as well as he could. He couldn't hold the lead. Yeah. And Benitez, yeah, can I actually, actually ask you a question? As an Orioles fan, what do you feel about Moose being in the Hall of Fame? Do you, do you see him more as an Oriole or as a Yankee, or is it just right down the middle? Uh, you know, to me, he's always an Oriole. Peter Angelos did not show him the love that he should have it sucks that he went to the yankees had he went to the braves nobody would have cared they would have welcomed him back with open arms and hoped that he would have gotten a ring but basically if it were the red Sox, even back then in the 90s i mean in the early 2000s they wouldn't have cared it's just yeah. it's just those uh, it's just the pinstripes i mean he could have went anywhere else he could have been a philly he could have been a pirate he could have went back home nobody would have cared it's just those pinstripes that's what makes it even worse I mean, I always felt bad for Messina, though, because, like, I kind of joked it's the curse of Mike Messina. He joined right after they won the World Series, and he retired right before they won it. I was like, oh, man, was he the reason? 
Yeah, and, and and I mean, also just think about it though. He retired with twenty wins in his final season. He could have kept going. I think he had like what two hundred and seventy something wins. Yeah, he had a good chance of going for three hundred if he played two more years. He probably could have got fifteen and fifteen. He probably had enough in the tank to go two more years, but he oh, yeah. just wanted to go on his own terms. And the thing is, he easily could have had twenty one seasons in Baltimore because one Armando Benitez blew a save on the last day of 96 and Brady hit his 50th homer in Toronto to to win the game for him but he was winning that game then I think Frank Thomas hit a home run in like 97 again he was he was pretty close he was 19 and 9 and 96 and I think 19 and 10 and 97 and he was so close to 20 wins then yeah, it's funny, right? I mean, when you look at a career as a whole, like, I, I think of somebody like Fred McGriff. I'm like, the guy had 493 home runs. I'm like, geez, he was so close. Like, you, you kind of think, you're like, is is that what's stopping from being in the Hall of Fame? Um, luckily, something like Moose, they, they look at other metrics now, and other players are getting their due. But, man, I'm sorry, I got to say this. I know he only played for the Orioles a little bit, but, why in the world Harold Baines a Hall of Famer? You I'm know, sorry. I think that Harold, tough one. the Harold Baines one, especially when you're being voted on by your peers, it makes it... Well, a, I mean, is your former manager and your former owner really considered your peer? Well, I mean, that kind of helped when you have Ryan Storff and La Russa, like, you know, batting for your cause. Um, I thought the greatest thing would have been had he politely declined if he said, I'm sorry, but I'm not worthy of being a Hall of Famer. Um, obviously for him, yeah, take yeah. it. That, that's great for him. I mean, he got voted in, nothing wrong on his end. But if he had been like, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to let the Hall of Fame like go down to this level, I will decline because I'm not a Hall of Famer. That would have been amazing to see. Yeah, that would have been nice, but we'll see. I mean, I think it's it's some fitting, while he shouldn't have been the person, maybe McGriff, maybe Delgado down the line, because I honestly thought Carlos Delgado he put the fear uh, into pitchers. Yeah, and, and you know what it was? No World Series, unfortunately. One playoff his entire career. I think he was a rookie in 93, so he wasn't on the team when Toronto won it. It was really 2006 with the Mets, and every single person knows that that pitch Adam Wainwright gave to Carlos Beltran that year was the probably the best curveball ever thrown, like ever. Like, Sandy Koufax couldn't have made a better curveball than what Adam Wainwright gave. Um, so, unfortunately, that's the thing, right? I mean, like, for example, like, Bruce Bochy just finished his managing. He actually has a losing record, like, over the course of 20-plus years. Um, there was an article I read about how he's not being judged for the 2,000 wins he had as a regular season manager. He's being judged for the 40 wins he had in the postseason They win three World Series. And that's what will get him in the Hall of Fame. So, um a lot of players, if they don't have the postseason to back it up, like a Jack Morris probably wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame without his postseason accolades. And and that's what's unfortunately stopping some guys like Carlos Delgado from getting a shot. And him managing the Padres, really nobody has had a longer amount of sustained success in San Diego. Maybe maybe Bochy is the only person. But other than that, I mean, nobody. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, he managed them to what, two four playoff appearances in a pen in 98. Um, he did a great job. It's just like, I think he had so many mediocre years that he probably wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame without his World Series in San Francisco. I mean, just to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, when we look at baseball, like there's always going to be players who are shunned. Um, I think the top of the list, I actually have someone I talked to here in D.C. who's uh, an old Brooklyn fan, and we always talk about Gil Hodges. I mean, that's that's a player that, 
not many people know today, but he was the fear in a power hitting um, infielder for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, he was also the Mets manager in 69. He died very young, he died of a heart attack in his 40s. Um, he's a guy probably has been omitted way too long. Um, and then also Marvin Miller, who's on the uh, ballot this year. He is a, uh, for anyone who, who doesn't know, he's the union leader who um, pretty much brought the Major League Baseball Players Association into the stratosphere in terms of salaries, like, you know, multi-million dollar salaries, like you could thank him for starting it down the road. Um, he was involved with Kurt Flood for free agency, you know, getting rid of the reserve clause. It's like things like that. Those, those guys should be in it. But, um, you know, like it's always been the hall of fame is a popularity contest in terms of the voters, you know, unless, um, I, I think probably we'll, we'll also see Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens in the hall soon too. Yeah. And, and I think, I mean, if they preface it, hey, they're different. Like Bob Costas used to say, there have been different eras of baseball. Pre-segregation, post-segregation, dead ball era, yeah. things like that. Uh, and you got to you know, admit there was a steroid problem and just say, hey, these guys oh, played absolutely. in that era. Uh, I, think, I think to this day, the only slugger who's been in the Hall of Fame that would play during the steroid era is Frank Thomas. I think he's really the only slugger that's gotten in. And I think it's because he was always on the record saying he never took uh, steroids like I think he's the only one right now who's been in it. I know Pud Rodriguez had some steroid allegations, but he's in it. Um, Bagwell, so, yeah. Piazza. That's right, Piazza, you're right. And you're the Piazza, right. really, I had never heard about the steroids. The worst rumor I had heard about him, that he was gay, and that was the biggest yeah, rumor. Yeah. Do you remember, like, I, I could have sworn, like, they led the local newscast with this, where, like, they had, like, a five-second clip of him going, like, I'm not gay, and that's it. Like he literally like said that to the world, and and I, I remember like what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, and I and we were talking about people should be in. His playing record wasn't good, but Buck O'Neill should be in the Hall of Fame just for being a contributor, yeah, helping bring knowledge I, to the Negro leagues. Uh, and I I was incredibly sad when uh, he passed away in 2006, and there was time at that point when he was still living to be in the Hall of Fame. And I think there was a video clip of him saying, don't be sorry for me. I've lived a great life. And that's not going to be the end all for me. But yeah, one of the places I still have not visited in the States is uh, Kansas City. And I love to go to the Negro Leagues Museum, you know, wear my Kansas City Monarchs cap there and, and, and really learn more about the history. You've probably heard of the player Josh Gibson. You oh, know? yeah. Um, they say that Babe Ruth was the white Josh Gibson, not the other way around. Yeah, and so, almost um, a thousand homers, too, in the Negro Leagues. Yeah, and then even here in D.C., the Homestead Grays, you know, they played a significant portion of their period here in D.C., and so there's there's great baseball history that just, unfortunately, would have been great to see baseball integrated before 47. Yeah, and I think Larry Doby doesn't get the credit. It's just the fact that he – No, he doesn't. Months um, after you're right. Like, he got So he got elected in the Hall of Fame in 1997, and a lot of people didn't know who he was. I didn't know who he was in 97. I think 97 was an interesting year. It was Jackie Robinson's 50th anniversary of breaking the color barrier. Major League Baseball retired uh, 42 league-wide. You know, the Indians were going to the World Series that year. And I think they hosted the All-Star game that year. And Larry Doby went into the Hall of Fame. And he died recently. I think he died in like 2003 or so. But not many people know about him. And he was a great player. He was like one of the first African-American managers as well. But... Larry Doby for a guy who broke the color barrier maybe two months after Jackie Robinson. 
he got the same amount of vitriol, but just not a lot of the praise that he deserved. Yeah, and it didn't mention Ron Santo. I feel like they intentionally left him out, and by the time he finally got yeah. in, he wasn't there to enjoy it, and that's just frustrating. His stats aren't going to change anymore in a year or three. I think also, didn't he get elected like a year after he died too? It wasn't like – it was awful. Like, poor guy. I mean, he had been suffering a lot. You know, one of the first players to still have a good career after being diagnosed with juvenile diabetes. I mean – yeah, he went through a lot. He suffered a lot when he played. And, you know, if he had played in modern times, you know, where his diabetes could have been checked, he could have had a more fulfilling career, probably save his legs and save his life. But, yeah, Santo was one of those characters, one of those players that, you know, didn't get his just reward. The one player I think we can probably agree on who's going to go to the Hall of Fame after he dies is Pete Rose. I think that's just something like Major League Baseball is probably going to do is like, you're not going to live to see that. I think that's his punishment for gambling on baseball. Maybe he gets in. Shoeless Joe still isn't in. But the problem is now that they're starting to slowly get close to all these betting deals. And, yeah, yeah, you're going to be very hypocritical if you don't try to fix that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think there's a player in the NFL, like an injured Cardinal who just got banned indefinitely. Yeah, Josh Shaw, uh, I believe. Gambling. He did like a parlay bet for his team which really isn't gambling to say it's not like match fixing. It's a parlay. Like a lot of things have to happen. If you can find a way to fix the entire NFL to get your parlay, maybe that's a problem. But um, yeah, I mean, gambling's always been a problem. But if these leagues, you're right, it, it's hypocritical for these leagues to benefit from sponsorship of gambling and not allow it by players because that's a tough temptation. They're going to have to fix that rule. And if they let Pete Rose in, you got to let Shoeless Joe in because he hit, I think he hit like 600 or 700 in that World Series, and he could barely read. Yeah. So whether he was in the fix, nobody really thinks he was. Yeah, it's one of those things like we're never going to know for sure unless we have time travel. But also, they had a cheap owner in Comiskey. Uh, I think he didn't pay like the bonus for, was it Ed Seacott, the pitcher? Um, I'm just remembering for the Eight Men Out movie, but, you know, it's like, they held him out intentionally so he wouldn't get a bonus for like uh, making X amount of starts in a year. And I think that contributed to him like getting in on the fix, you know. Um, yeah, baseball's gone a long way, but like a lot of sports are still match fixing. If you're a fall cricket, they still do match fixing. So, you know, nothing's foolproof. Yeah. And, you know, I can't imagine watching. I'm trying to get an idea how cricket is very similar. I always just think, okay, you know, it's like baseball right. somewhat. Um, but- so a home run is like a six. Um, a home run, a six in cricket is a ball that's in the air and it clears the boundary. Uh, the boundary is a circle. It's a full circle and you're kind of in the middle of the circle. So you can actually hit a home run to the back of you. There's like no foul or fair. Um, everything is fair game. Um, so if it clears the boundary on the fly, like a home run, it's a six. Um, if it rolls out of the boundary, it's a four, which is like a ground roll double. And then any other hit you can run at your own risk. So you always have two people on, like like a partnership. And then when somebody gets out, the next person comes to bat in their place, and then there's a partnership there until they're out. See, this is how you learn so much stuff. Like I said about podcasts, you always learn something new, and I learned something new today. And as we speaking of learning and things like that, as we get back to your experience on Sports Jeopardy, going into your first game, what was the experience like? What were the nerves like? Also, how did you prepare for the show what did you do did you study or you um, go into what you knew so, yeah actually the first season already aired so i think i just binge watch a lot of the first season on crackle i just watched a lot of the sports jeopardy episodes just to figure out what's going on um and then i figured it made sense to like no current events so like even on my like, plane flight and things like that 
I was like trying to figure out who won the Indy 500, you know, like who won these like tournaments, you know, maybe like golf and tennis, um, like maybe brushed up on Olympics, like, you know, maybe where the Olympics are, World Cup, things like that. Um, so current events I kind of brushed up on, but most of the stuff like, you know, like you kind of already know. I still remember when I was, um, my flight over to LA was like delayed. And so I was like supposed to come in like, I think I was filming on a Friday and I was supposed to come in on a Thursday, early morning in LA, like afternoon. I didn't get into LA until like Thursday night. And so I didn't have much time to like get ready. Like I just had to go the next day and I was staying with my sister who lives, who lived in LA at the time. So I got to the studio and I was like, oh man, I'm going up against a guy who had just won two games. And I was like, oh, please, I hope I'm not being picked first. And then boom, I got picked to be in the first game of the day. And I was like, oh crap. But uh, it, it, looking back, it was a blessing in disguise because like you can't overthink, you can't be nervous. You're just, you're on. So um, just went on and um, I played the guy who actually found out later on, he was like on who wants to be a millionaire. So so pretty good uh, with trivia. Um, so I went up against him and uh, another guy. And uh, yeah, that was the first show and, and finished the first show and won. And then, you know, it was surreal because it's like, hey, you just won. But in five minutes, you got to go out again. So just change your shirt and come back on and uh, just rinse and repeat. And that that's how I got through my first day of taping. And then um, four shows a day. So um, after the fourth show, they're like, oh, I guess you got to come back tomorrow. Yes, I do. So um, I came home and my sister was like, how'd you do? I'm like, I have to go back tomorrow. She's like, oh, you didn't go on the show? And I was like, no, I went on the show. So uh, that was pretty fun. And then got to do it again. And then uh, that was the last show for the taping. So I got to had to come back a few months later for another taping. And what was that gap like in between? You're just like, you're sure you weren't going to be rusty or things like that? Um. It was surreal because I had won eight shows in my first taping session. And so I was like, oh, man, I've got some money coming in. This is going to be fun. Like, I actually quit my job because it was a temp job. And I was like, I'm not doing this again. Um, So I just spent the time actually looking for more permanent jobs after grad school, like something more in my my field. Um, And, yeah, just kind of uh, relaxing. It was like a nice little purgatory because you knew, like, you know, good things were ahead. I think towards the very end, like, my shows were actually starting to, like, air before I even went out for the second taping. And that was kind of fun. So I think maybe two weeks before I was set to go back to L.A. for my taping, my first episode aired. And then so I think the day of my third episode airing was when I went back to L.A. for the taping session. And there was another contestant who I faced in my second taping sessions. He saw me. He's like, wait, aren't you, weren't you just on the show? And, and that was just, that, that to me was just a huge like crack. I was dying of laughter, but um, yeah, no, it, it wasn't that bad. And I think, cause I already knew, like, I, I think in the end it's just like, it's a game show. It's meant to be fun. So don't put pressure, have fun. I mean, we're getting paid to know random sports facts. I mean, that's the American dream, right? To, to actually get paid to know these trivial facts. So there really wasn't that much pressure after, like, the first show. It was just like, the run's going to end eventually. So just, you know, have fun with it. You see, see how far you can go. And it's funny. I remember one of the episodes, I guess, had to be the start of the second tape session. They actually handed you a check during the yeah, episode. Yeah, no, that, that was hilarious. So I... I went on the first session when I had the eight shows. I really didn't have a lot of clothes. 
because I wasn't expecting a win. Um, I actually borrowed my brother-in-law's clothes for like the second day of taping, uh, which would be like shows five, six, seven, and eight. And he's a little bit bigger than me, so they're like one size larger. And um, you know, like being a guy, like you never show your pants. I wore like the same pair of jeans and the same shoes. I just, I just flipped on a different shirt. And so I think my sister was even like, "Dude, are you gonna like get new clothes? You're gonna go in the same thing again?" I'm like, "Oh, I I didn't think about that." I think I ended up wearing some of the same clothes again. And that's when Dan Patrick was like, dude, spend some of your money and get a wardrobe because, dude, you're recycling. Um, and so we ran out of things to talk about. So he actually gave me a real check. And that was an actual game check. You know, like the checks they mailed you after your shows. That was a real check. And, and the best part was people who had been working on that show and regular Jeopardy for 20 plus years. They had never seen an actual game check before for a contestant. And so during the breaks, in between like commercial breaks or uh, downtime, the taping, you'd have these different writers, producers, cue card guys, you know, anyone associated with the show would be walking by my podium and they're looking at the check. They're like, oh, man, this is what it looks like. Yeah, it's a lot of money, man. Good job. So it, it was just a little like out of this world um, moment where you were like, oh, this is really fun. So I really enjoyed that part. It was just like just the kind of like the antics we were having on the show. Just because like you kind of saw it with James, if you follow regular Jeopardy or Ken, you know, after a while, like, you just don't know what to do. So you're just having fun. I know some people were spelling their names in different ways or uh, I think Dan and I had a staring contest <laughs> in one show. Um you know, even with you and Dan, did, did it get like kind of um, a little bit blase towards the end of like, what are you talking about? When I was on game nine, I was like, man, I'm trying to think about stuff to talk about. There was stuff that wasn't even on the list. Uh, we talked about um, me and my brother married sisters. So that was interesting. We talked about so many different things and basically used everything up from interning for George. Oh, Martin. yeah. The, the, that key card went away. Um <laughs> I think one of my shows, I actually did a role reversal. I had Dan stand uh, on the contestant side, and I, I was interviewing him. And we literally ran out of things to do. Um, <laughs> so for those who want to know, a little fun fact. We actually, uh, as Earl knows, we get uh, a little press photo for every show we're on. And so you get a photo with, uh, you get a photo with the host. And I'm curious, Earl... How many different poses did you do with Dan? Like, at what point, you know, did you end up doing like a Home Alone pose? You ended up doing a Thriller pose? Because th those were kind of fun. You know, I did regular standard, you know, hand on shoulder, boom, like that. It's done. Pose. I didn't think anything of it. I really wish I had stuck with going through different pro wrestling poses. Because when I go on the show the first time, I start halfway doing the Norman Smiley where he starts looking out and before he starts doing a big wiggle and he, I didn't do that. And, but then everything else, I just kept doing the Bobby the Brain Heenan on acting more Larry Zabisco than it was Bobby Heenan. And I just kept doing that throughout. If I had really sort of just kept oh, going through different ones, I would have, uh, yeah. that would have been great. A little Ric Flair, a little under the giant. Yeah. It's just, I didn't even think anything of it. I'm just like, I'm sticking with this. Yeah. No, I mean, I uh, and that and that's a catch twenty two, right? It's like when you start thinking like that, maybe you're getting a little too cocky, and then like the game gets away from you. It's like for me, the show that's always in my head the most is the one I lost because that's the one I remember the most. Um, the first show I remember really well. The show that I came back to win in final, I remember well, and then the show I lost. I was getting pretty cocky in the game I lost in terms of like 
I was trying to find fun ways of answering the questions in different accents. <laughs> and I think that cost me a little bit on buzzer speed. And then I got beat by a great guy. Um, I lost to a bartender from Boston. So, I mean, that's uh, if you're going to lose a sports trivia to a bartender from Boston, that's nothing <laughs> to hang yourself on. But, um, you know, it's one of those things where maybe you're having a little too much fun. But in the end, it's all about fun, right? Um, oh, yeah. And I just think about it. The one I lost, I missed both daily doubles and I was still leading in the final jeopardy. It was just overextending. Had I had only what, what been, was your question? It was 500 home run club. This oft injured slugger had the fewest at bats in reaching 500 home runs. And I didn't think anything of it. And it was, it was McGuire. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. And I didn't think anything of it. I said Mel Ott because I just couldn't think of anything at the time. But yeah, no, I mean, I would have got Ken Griffey because like his second half of the career, he was always hurt. Yeah. Nobody got it. And that's right. I guess, I guess Big Mac was hurt. Yeah. I mean, yeah. wait, did the other guy get it right? None or? of them got it right, but he only bid 13 uh, and I tried to beat Caitlin. Uh, yeah, by so much. If, I, if I bid 5,000, I win. And then who knows what happens going yeah. into game 10. I mean, but I always yeah. like, you know, I, that's why I want to get an autograph with Martin McGuire saying, remember my name or something like that. Just to at least have fun with that. Because, you know, I, at that point I was like, I'm at peace with whatever happens because I'm still winning and I'm still up. And it's just, you know, you overextend on a bet. Yeah. I mean, you want you want eight shows, right? So what would you win? Like forty one, forty two thousand yeah, dollars? Forty one. Yeah. Forty one. And I mean, dude, that's amazing. I mean, just think of that, man. That's like for knowing sports. You know what I mean? Like, it's insane it, it, when you think about it. It's insane. Yeah, and it's like, man, I, the question was after that, it's like, what do I do now? Because all this useless information, I have it, and now I have no I have no other outlet. Before, it's like, I know this stuff, but, I mean, I wish they did do a, a Jeopardy for sports yeah. fans. And Now, now you're like, like, oh, should I just, like, empty the tank now? Do I, do I need to know this anymore? <laughs> do I need to know my Triple Crown winners? Uh, I honestly haven't really kept up on sports. I feel like now my scope is I narrowed. I haven't either, man. I mean, I don't even have cable. So to be honest, like going to the Nats games has really been my way of watching uh, some sports. Like I just found out yesterday that the Knicks have more wins than the Warriors. And I'm like, wait, what? Wow. I didn't. They might have more wins yeah. than the Wizards then. I mean, ugh. I haven't even. Well, the Warriors apparently have the worst record in the NBA. But I guess they're all hurt. But um, yeah, I mean. I, I guess as you get older, you have different priorities in life. And, you know, I mean, sports are always going to be there. Like, you know, I'm always going to be able to catch a Yankees game, things like that. But, yeah, it was, a, it was a special part of my life. And just like, you know, it's like one of those, like, fun moments. Um, somewhere tucked in my apartment, I have the water bottle and the towel they gave me, my little loot bag from Sports Jeopardy. I'm sure it's disintegrating now. But <laughs> that's really all I have from the show. I mean, that's not much otherwise. Yeah, I, I just I found mine. Just found mine sitting right nice, at my nice, desk. Nice. I like your man cave, by the way. It's kind of nice. Kind of much of the Dan Patrick show. Yeah, it's a it's a mix between his and hers. My wife has her reached up. I have my jersey up. I was actually going to put my uh, one of my friends from college. He got me. I lost on Jeopardy shirt, and I didn't think anything of it at the time. I should have put it up there because that would be the most fitting thing because. Nice. I actually put that on like my so, Facebook profile. You know, it's funny. At first glance, I thought it was an Astros jersey, but I'm like, yeah, no, that makes sense. <laughs> that's uh, that's an O's jersey. 
Yeah, their Saturday night. That's a couple of the Saturday night special ones there. Did they ever wear. have uh, Greg Holland or Derek Holland pitch for your team? Has there ever been a guy whose name is Holland on the Orioles? Never, never. Okay. I, I, you know, as I would call them the associated cuz cuz, even though they are not no way related to my knowledge. But it would have been cool. I just got went to Fan Fest, which is sad, and now they canceled it. And I just kept getting customized jerseys. Me and my wife got customized jerseys or jerseys that they would sell. Uh, on discount and now that since they don't do fan fest anymore it's like wow oh, it's, that stinks um i'll say this man my buddy and i did a uh, a baseball trip um in august we went to six games in five cities in six days so we we started in baltimore um we were like right behind home plate we saw uh, the astros play the orioles and uh to my knowledge, I did not see any sign stealing, but you never know. It's crafty <laughs> Astros. Um, but yeah, it started in uh, Baltimore, then went up to Boston. First time, ironically, for a Yankee fan, uh, first time Fenway Park, and I loved it. Send the monster seats, then uh, Yankees, then a Mets game, then a Phillies game, and then finished with the Nats game. So um, you guys have a great ballpark. And I, I wish I could say more about your team, but um, hey, it's a rebuilding. If only Zach Burton pitched in that wild card game. I'm so sorry. <sighs> but. See, the history repeated itself because apparently he Buck did the same thing with uh with Wetland in '95 against the Mariners because he had McDowell yeah. on the mound. Yeah, man. I mean, I felt bad. I mean, I mean, when it comes to the Yankees, probably the most beloved Yankee is Don Mattingly, just because he played during that really awful period where the team never made a World Series. He was their only like shining star, and uh, yeah, no, that was a. Um, I mean, it's kind of ironic. I guess that had to happen for Joe Torre to come over and for all the parts to come in where they won the dynasty. But I'm sure, like, every Yankees fan was, like, so, like, kind of bittersweet when uh, Manley wasn't on the roster when they started winning World Series. Yeah, and, you know, things happen, and... Yeah, man, you'll always have your John Lowenstein moments, you know, oh, yeah. Tito Landrum, you know, some 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 old names. Uh, oh. So I see 84 there. Were you born in 84? I was born in 83. I just always thought okay. 84 is more symmetrical just because, okay. you know. Well, they did win the World Series in 83, so at least just you lived for, you were alive for that. Yep. That's a good sign. Yeah, but I was born in February. They won it in October, and I assume Redskins also won it on that time. I didn't follow the Redskins until 94. So I missed ninety. I missed oh, that on yeah. ninety one. Well, at least at least you knew what the Redskins were like before Dan Snyder. Yeah, and it wasn't much to really uh, ride home about because the old, Heat years. Old man Cook was already starting to go senile, so or or get frail, I guess. Yeah, no, way. it's kind of funny. Like the Redskins have never had a normal owner. It's either like one crazy guy who actually was good and then one crazy guy who's just awful oh uh, semi edward bennett williams the former orioles owner actually owned part of the redskins at one point with jack kent cook and i know there was talk that that cook wanted him to basically give up his share of the redskins or he was going to try to buy into the orioles and there's going to be all this other stuff and then you know, Edward Bennett Williams was a big factor along with William Donald Schaefer in getting Camden Yards. I guess they thought, well, if you've already lost one team, you might as well just sort of pony up and get a new stadium. And I know they were talking yeah. about a dome at Camden Yards at the time, uh, one of the planned stadium options for a downtown ballpark before everything was built. And I couldn't imagine a dome there. And there were so many things about the warehouse. They were going to cut it in half. They were going to tear it down. And they decided just to incorporate it with the design. 
Yeah, no, there was there was an architect on the the team that built the stadium, and she is really the reason why. Because I believe um, the original design for Camden Yards was going to be like the new Comiskey Park, which is what now like guaranteed rate field. Um, which it's a, it's a stadium, it's it's modern, I guess you know, but it's it's got no soul. And um, the architect was like, no, 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 you've got a great natural like, or you got a great resource in the warehouse. You're going to use it. Um, it's kind of similar to like San Diego. Like I haven't gotten out there yet to Petco, but it's pretty cool. They incorporated the old, um, was it Western metal building yeah. in left field? I think like the corner of the building is the foul pole, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, it, it, it kind of sucks. I, th- I think baseball of all sports, as you know, it's like, that's like your park is actually, has character. I mean, like a football stadium, basketball, hockey, it's all the same dimensions, but like baseball can be different. And, um, yeah, man, it's kind of sad. Like when when the Yankees moved out of the old stadium, um, yeah, the new stadium's like Grandor. It's nice. It kind of looks like the older pre-renovated stadium, but man, it's got everything but a soul. It is like corporate welfare. Um, my sixteen dollar beers, I can cheer, but it, it's not the same. Yeah, I think that's the way the feeling was with uh, Camden Yards when you had a lot of the influx of the Washington money coming in it just sort of oh yeah you know, they're there and then all of a sudden when the Nats come in town everybody has their own team that case when you start seeing the character of the Baltimore people start coming in and the playoff game I remember going to was it was game one of the 2014 divisional series against the Tigers the day before the Delman Young double and yes, it was just absolutely nuts. In fact, the, the, that first round of 2012 against the Yankees, it, it was nuts. There. Yeah. The one thing I remember from that series was Ichiro's like little Spider-Man tag at home. Like, I think he kind of like played like a cat and mouse game with the catcher to like score the run. And that was a weird series because I think that was like a rare two, three format series. So the first two games were in Baltimore and the last three games were in New York. And, um, yeah, no, that was, that was pretty fun. I mean, the, the Orioles had a good run. I mean, yeah, they only made it to one um, championship series, but they had some fun players. And, and it, it really does suck for the Orioles that Manny Machado was hurt in 2014. I think he could have made a difference. I mean, they got swept with the Royals. Maybe if the healthy Manny, they could have gone a different way. No Manny, no Weeders, no Davis, which, again, yeah. which – Really, I oh look back man, at it. Chris Davis. Chris if you Davis. get you, oh. you're, you're told to you can't take the uh, Adderall and you still take it and you get suspended, yet you get rewarded with a seven year contract. Which, again, when I hearing all the stuff, it was Dan Duquette wanted Davis back, but he wanted him at a lesser price. Buck was really big on getting Davis back. Angelos took over the deal himself and negotiated with Boris. Wasn't Angelos like in his 90s? He was still making decisions? Yeah, I mean, he was making decisions. Yeah, he was like late 80s because he was born the same day as Steinbrenner. Um, I'm not saying year, maybe a couple years difference. I mean, the grand scheme of things, but... And now that he's apparently having health issues, what those health issues are, been rumored to be so many different things. Yeah, it's funny we're talking about ownerships. I, I have a friend uh, back in uh, New Jersey who's a Mets fan, and, uh, you know, some good news on the Mets front. Like the Wilpons are, looks like they're about to sell, um, or at least are starting secession plans to sell uh, a majority stake in the Mets over the next five years. And so, you know, it's only it's all we can pray for as a Knicks fan, you know, until uh, someone. Uh, buy cable vision or uh get new ownership yeah like i said everybody keep their hands off jeff bezos he's supposed to be i want him to buy the redskins or the orioles maybe both and then to the ownership 
problems as as a fan of mine are taken care of because you know people can say what they want about old man Poland, but he you know he did try to win with those two teams just the the wizards but you know he also funded the he also funded the um what's it now capital one arena with his own yeah. money and um just living in dc i know what it's like to have that that place there and to really revitalize the town i mean um I think one day at work, I was on Google Earth, and I was just looking at different parts of D.C. that evolved over the last 20 years. And what he did was amazing. Um, so, yeah, he definitely needs to be commended for that. Um, he's a pretty good owner. Just um, and Leonsis, It's funny. Uh, Ted Leonsis is a great hockey owner, but it's like, come on, man. You got to get your basketball people in. Um, would you say you're a Wizards fan? Yeah, been a Wiz- been Wizards fan since uh, back in 94, right before Chris Weber got traded there. I've been so my, my question to you is, how in the world did Ernie Grunfeld survive all these years? Like, he was a terrible GM. Um, the same way Bruce Allen survives right now. He, he must have had blackmail somebody. There's I no know, way. It's weird. Uh, you know, it's funny. James Dolan doesn't know anything about hockey, and he technically owns the Rangers, and they're a pretty well-run organization. They're rebuilding, but they're actually rebuilding like a team should rebuild. You know, like you wave the white flag, you get rid of your veterans, you play young players, acquire draft capital. He can't do that with the Knicks. He thinks he knows what he's doing, and it's a disaster. Yeah, I, I just think Leonsis just felt, okay, my focus is a little more on the caps. I think Grunfeld's doing a good enough job. It's funny, in the Dan Snyder era, everybody made it to the playoffs more times than the Redskins. Say People can say what they want about the Wizards from Gilbert Arenas and the Guns and all that other stuff. They oh, made gosh. the playoffs a ton of times. <laughs> yeah, and- even two years ago, I think they were one game away from the conference final. I think they made it to like a game seven against the Celtics um, in, the, in the second round. The Redskins, they made the playoffs, I think, what, 2015 with Kirk Cousins, 2012 with RG3. I think they made it twice under Gibbs, like, oh yeah. five, oh seven, like the year Sean Taylor died. They made a really, like, you know, like, heroic run to the playoffs. And then maybe one Brad Johnson year? Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, under, under Norv. 99, yeah. where the punter, yeah, he, he missed a snap, and then he died of cancer in the oh, offseason, and they cut him. Yeah, Dan, like, um, Dan Turk, Matt Turk's brother, was a snapper in – because it's like the line of succession is Dan Turk, then is Ethan Albright, the red snapper. And then uh, right now, oh, God, I can't even think of who the, who the snapper's been. He's been the snapper since Ethan Albright got cut. But, yeah, that was a little tangent there. But, yeah, yeah, it, it's crazy. And uh, and I feel like, I don't know, I, I think going back quickly to Poland, it's that Jack and Cope built his own stadium, because, but not in D.C. because they didn't want to do it. And he didn't want to wait. And he, he knew he was probably dying soon. He built it in the most inopportune place when it comes to logistics and well actually i mean it actually was the perfect place because you know it's surrounded by two metro stations one right on top and the other two blocks away Mm -hmm. every metro line converges within two blocks of of that area so it was like perfect i find it funny too since you know you you know dc pretty well um i think where the old cap center was is where largo town center is which is like the terminus of the silver line and the blue line out in um, maryland I think they extended it there, but they started extending it after, like, they tore down the cap center. So I found that kind of funny. Like, 
the reason they wanted to build a metro extension didn't exist by the time it actually opened. That's how some cities work, and I just love going to RFK. I went one time. It was a bowl between Maryland and East Carolina. It was Ralph Regan's last game coaching Maryland, and they flipped <laughs> up on uh, ECU because I know there's all this talk about who was going to be the coach replacement, and they screwed that up with Edsel, which it looks like Maryland Athletics. Basketball and crap case because they don't know how to do football. But, yeah, I, I just feel like, man, that place was rocking. I've been at, what, RFK twice because I saw Bonds homer off Levon Hernandez because the story was this. Oh, they booed Bonds. They booed right. Bonds. I've seen a video on YouTube. That was like upper deck. Yeah. They booed Bonds for coming to the plate. Then they booed Bonds they for homering. It. You know and- what? <laughs> steroids were great for baseball um barry bonds only played one series at the old yankee stadium and he hit this titanic blast in the upper deck right field and i think like john miller the great radio guy used to be on espn sunday night baseball i think he literally his call was that one is heading for new jersey (laughs) technically he was wrong it was not going in that direction but still was amazing but his home run brought like fifty-five thousand people like who were booing him right to a standing like ovation like (laughs) We're never going to see something like that in baseball again. And and it kind of sucks because, like, you know, Mike Trout is, like, one of the best players ever. But, man, not to the level that Barry Bonds brought people out of their seats. With Mike Trout, do you think he's going to be more Mantle or Maze? I think more Maze. Um, Mantle would be only if he gets more hurt. I, I, I really don't know. If, I can't say Mike Trout is more of a um, – he's in that transition period if he's going to be more of a five-tool player because he hasn't really stolen bases lately. But if he stays healthy, he would probably go towards Mays. If he starts to get hurt, probably more towards Mantle, less running. But my hope is he stays more like Mays to be more mobile. But it does look like he's going towards Mantle on, on like the power end and like less running. What was the biggest transition, I guess, especially from moving from the New York to New Jersey area to D.C.? Was there a bit of a culture shock or what was the biggest difference? Um, I'm starting to say y'all more. Um, <laughs> the metro is in transition here. Like you know, now the state metro instead of subway. I mean, I live in the city itself, so it's not too bad. It's like a smaller version of New York. I think getting used to the quadrants and like the diagonal streets here took a while, but you know, now it's like the back of my head. I mean, there's not too many big differences. I mean, with besides the lack of pizza here. Um, but no, it's it, it's fine. I mean, it's got a great sports like you know, like similar to New York. I, I guess because DC is a one sports town. You know, it's it's all Caps, it's all Wizards, all Nats, all Redskins. But I thought it was interesting. I assume when I moved here, like, the Redskins ruled the town. And then I learned more about Dan Snyder. And, like, all the goodwill that the team has had is gone. I mean, I have, like, a coworker who, you know, remembers Gary Clark, you know, the posse back in the day. And he's like, I would trade all those, like, Super Bowl trophies for, like, the Nats winning the World Series because I hate Dan Snyder. Like, I won't support him, so... It's been interesting in that. But uh, one thing I like about D.C. is because so many people come from, like, out of town here who live here now. On a Sunday, if you're at a grocery store, like, 1130, 12 o'clock before kickoff, you'll see every single, like, team jersey, which is kind of fun. Yeah, up here in Delaware, it's just all Philly stuff. I mean, occasionally you'll get a lot of Baltimore stuff, some Ravens stuff, because it's that weird dividing line. Because where we're at, we're only 10 minutes from, like, hitting the Maryland line. And then... Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it is still nice and it's still diverse. It's crazy to still see that many Orioles fans here. It's like, oh, man, how are the Orioles doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, they're doing all right. I mean, it could be better. But... So wait, isn't it the O's? You know, I think that's probably more Baltimore-ish, more like they say Dundalk would be more O's, you know. But, um, okay. 
I know. Do they still yell, oh, the national anthem a lot in D.C.? I know they've been sort of trying yeah. to eliminate that. Yeah, I, I was confused when I first went. I think I went to opening day 2016. I, I moved out here right after Sports Jeopardy. Like, so I, I moved here about four years ago. I went to opening day 2016, and I I heard everyone screaming, I'll say, I was like, wait, what? And then, <laughs> to my knowledge, I was like, isn't that a Baltimore thing? Because, you know, O's? But, yeah, they do it here, especially at Caps games. I mean, it's more prominent during, like, you know, national television games or, you know, big series. But, um, yeah, no, that took a little while, but now I'm used to it now. Yeah, and it's crazy. I know the the, the Redskins games that I'm actually there for the beginning. Yeah, they still hear the O, which still gets me excited because uh, I know especially well, they've been trying to eliminate you know, that whole Baltimore-type <laughs> thing. But you got people who are hybrid fans. Of two cities, so I mean, a, a Baltimore and Washington sometimes, and it's going to happen until the end of days, really. Yeah, you know, there's some great seats on sale for four dollars for this upcoming Redskins game. Yeah, we went to the Niners game; it was twenty five each. If yeah, at this point, seeing the craziness that occurred on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge, where it takes you a delay an hour, it, it, it an hour delay. Nope. Isn't that a scary bridge to drive on? I've heard like high winds on that bridge; like people freak out. And, yeah, like, yeah, like, I mean. I think- a couple of cars have, have been knocked over the bridge one time with just some tractor trailer driving. And then sometimes a drunk girl who basically swerved into the lane. The guy had to basically try to, you know, prevent an accident. And he went over the bridge in his tractor trailer. And it's just, you know, that, that that's probably one of the most dangerous bridges. And driving on like the Roth Bridge in Delaware and the Memorial Bridge, even the little rickety St. George's Bridge that's that really has no lights oh, it's still not as bad the, as the bay bridge the bridge on 95 when you're crossing the big river kind of like um do you know like kind of like just north of baltimore i think it's near Havre de grace oh Aberdeen. susquehanna river bridge yeah that scares the hell out of me because there's no shoulder it's kind of like a low railing bridge and and if it's pouring rain or fog I'm on like a mega bus and I'm like, Oh God, this is like exactly what I need. It's like a taller version of the bridge that we go over from Cambridge to Easton on the Eastern shore. When you're used to that, it's nothing. It's just, I know I have vision issues. Sometimes I don't, I only wear my glasses really when I need to. Cause it's sort of like, it's like you can go a day without wearing them. And, but then other times I might need them driving and raining at night. Oh boy, I need to wear them. And those are the times when it freaks me out. Cause I can't keep track of the lines and, and that's scary. Yeah, no, it's um, definitely enjoy the lights out here for sure. But, uh, you know, if you ever go to Peru, you'll feel very happy about our roadways in the U.S. Because there, there are no railings. You are just like one accidental swerve away from falling 500 feet. Oh, God. So, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. And after watching the real sports about Dominican Republic and their travel and their driving and how the, yeah. the lights are only suggestions. Were players like baseball who died because, like, some people are throwing rocks like or boulders onto the onto the onto the road. Yeah, I don't know if it was Jordano Ventura, but it was it was similar to that. I mean, I heard that his car crashed and they I tried think it to might rob have been him. Andy Marte. Yeah, I'm thinking Andy Marte. Yeah, I think their their crashes actually might have been like not that far apart later in yeah. that same day. But I know they then, apparently robbed Ventura and then even try to call nine one one or try to call uh, for help. And then even like uh, what was that kid for? The, there was a kid who played for the Cardinals. Same thing happened. Some. Uh, Oscar oh, Tavares. Um, yeah, yeah, man. It's. I think the one that always uh, always stays with me is Jose Fernandez. Man, that that one always stays with me because he has so much potential and he'd been through so much in his life, and then how it ended was awful. 
Yeah, it's like the Levon Hernandez story, but with a sad with a sad ending. And 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 I also think about Nick Aidenhart, where apparently night after he had pissed a gem, drunk driver basically piled yeah. into them and killed well, the them. Ol- a the ol- well, people. the only miracle is that uh, there was a guy, a passenger in this car that survived. He actually had an internal decapitation, but he survived and he made a full recovery. Oh my gosh. And it's just when you hear that, and right after that, it's like you say, "Yeah, he pissed a gem," and the next thing you know, he's dead. I mean, the, there are players like, the, especially in baseball, it's the one I can always think of. Um, or you know, of course, Sean Taylor if you're you know Washington, you know Redskins. Um, there's actually a really, really good player who died in his prime. Just like he got like shot. I, I think he was visiting his brother in Indiana. Oh, Lyman uh, Bostock. Got Lyman Bice, Lyman Bostock was his name. He was a really good player for uh, I think the Angels, but yeah. like. Yeah, man. Baseball's got some of those terrible stories. Yeah, far more than it should be. There's like a Reds player. He committed suicide. Willard Hirschberger was his name. Yeah. Committed suicide. Like, you know, I think slit his own throat with a razor. It was mid-season, too. Like, I think he took it hard on himself. I think he had like a bad game and he told like his manager like he didn't deserve to live or something. And like, I don't think anyone took it seriously. And then one day he missed practice and... um, yeah, yeah, that, no, that, that's pretty crazy. I think his had, father but, um, committed suicide too, so it, it's one of those things where it was like ugh. genetic, and it's like I read them like, man, you don't really see that, and then you get the whole Tyler Skaggs thing, which is just sad and messed up altogether. But well, I mean, Tyler Skaggs is probably just a microcosm for what's going on with like an opioid addiction here in America. Like, and you know, no one's immune to it, whether you're rich or poor or like famous, like he is. You know, it seems like he had everything going for him, and. He needed to kind of go to that stuff to cope with his life. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just, man, especially when the no-hitter and all this stuff, and it's sort of like I always go back to the Liza Minnelli or maybe with Cher, whoever said when Michael Jackson died, yeah, everybody's happy now. Wait till you find out what ended up happening. Then every then we're going to see hell break loose. And then when you find out it was an overdose, he vomited, he choked on his own vomit in his sleep. It's just. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of those things. Like you, you, you always think like players are, especially when you were younger. Like we always thought like players are not immune. They, they're immune to this. They're like bigger and stronger. They're like superheroes, and then they're human. We're all human. Yeah, and I don't know. It's just one of those things where you don't really think it's going to happen until you see it on Sports Center or somewhere else. One of the things we we'll talk about before we start wrapping up, after the whole experience of Sports Jeopardy, did you notice, I guess, an increase in popularity? I know there are plenty of articles written about you, like, you should be watching um, what he does. Not much, but here and there, when I was, like, randomly at places, I would have somebody be like, hey, weren't you on that show? And, you know, like, that, that always got a kick out. If I, I was in L.A. a few years ago, Dodger Stadium, I think one of the vendors noticed me. He's like, hey, man, weren't you on the game show? Or, like, even in uh, suburban Virginia, I was, like, at a brewery, and, um, like, the bartender was like, yo, man, were you on that show? I'm like, well, you're not talking to me, Aziz Ansari, are you? He's like, no, no, you're on that sports show, right? I'm like, yeah. So um, those little things were pretty fun. Like, I always got a kick out of those if people remembered it. Um, I also, I think at one point the show was being aired on NBC Sports, and uh, it was during the Olympics, like, in Rio. So I remember going to a bar one night near my apartment just to like get a kick and see if I'd be on TV. So I saw myself on the show. So I told the bartender, I'm like, hey, man, can you like put that up? He's like, oh, oh no, the sports are over. It's just Jeopardy. I'm like, uh, do you want to take a look? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, that's you. So I got a kick out of some of those little things like that. Um, I think even once like I was at um, my friend and I were at, 
we were at uh, like a Marriott hotel, like for a friend's wedding. And, uh, I think we were, uh, we just got checked into our hotel room and they had crackle at the time on there. So I ended up like putting on my own show just for kicks. And like, you know, I was like, Oh yeah, that's cool. I think I I was trying to see is like, if I was ever on an airline and I could find myself on, on TV on an airline, that would be pretty fun. But, um, yeah, you know, yeah, I have my five minutes of fame, um, which is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, how about you? Did you ever get any like um, stops or anything? <sighs> See, I'm not very social media savvy. I think that was also like, you know, like, I, I got on Twitter just for Sports Jeopardy and like I barely tweet now, <laughs> maybe like IG or something like that. But um, I wasn't very social media savvy so that, you know, I, I really didn't keep it the ball rolling. But um, I know with you, you're pretty you're pretty good on social media. So were you able to get a little kick with your podcast your uh, you know sports career it's interesting i mean especially during the run you'd see people say hey yeah i mean we saw you and then one guy said yeah my dad's name is earl he's cheering you on too i'm like well that's pretty cool i mean and the response in the audience there was like this one family uh black guy and his son is like yeah i want to shake your hand because you know i wanted my son to see this because this is something you know and, and it was huge and it was like wow i didn't really think that an experience like this would like you know, change people's lives, especially, you know, people coming in, the tickets are free and they're just, just sitting there. It's, you know. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I was kind of told that like some of the audience members were from some sort of like hospital nearby, like a uh, mental hospital in Culver City. <laughs> that was the joke that the cast said, because it, it, it was an interesting population that was at the shows, especially if it's like a weekday taping or something, or they would get like the local high school to fill in. Oh, yeah. Uh, did you have to deal with the lunch hangover that always apparently occurs on Jeopardy where, you know, most times people after the lunch break, uh, the, Sandy, the Sandy cafeteria, it's just like ever after people play, you can watch the Thursday and Friday episodes of Jeopardy. Normally that's after lunch break. That's when you see champs get dethroned. Were you able uh, I guess, how did um, you try to avoid no, that? You know, it's funny. I was actually going to ask you, what did you have for lunch? Cause I think that's like an important <laughs> thing. Like people don't think about this. You're standing you know, you got to make sure your stomach's agreeing with you. Like, you know, you, you, you don't want to have like something heavy. I think every time I had something light, like a wrap or something like that, and I think I was fine. But um, it, it's still like an hour plus after lunch because they do the rehearsals. Like they do a mock rehearsal for the other um, contestants who haven't played yet. So you kind of get time to relax. Um, I still remember the funny part was like, um, the first day of taping I had my very first time, I guess, cause it was a weekend. The Sony cafeteria was not opened. So we actually had like a catered lunch. I think it was like Del Taco or something, oh, nice. but we had, um, we had like taco, uh, taco lunch on the set of wheel of fortune. Cause they're right <laughs> next door to each other. Yeah. And I remember just seeing how small the wheel was. I think the wheel is actually six feet in diameter. Really? Which you think about it is pretty small, but like doing the magic of TV, that set looks huge. Oh yeah. But yeah, uh, I didn't feel it too much, but I, I I could see it. Um, actually, the show I lost, the show I lost was the one right before lunch. Oh, so okay. maybe I could have used lunch. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, and as I understand, regular Jeopardy does five shows a day. Yeah. So I don't know if they do two lunch and three or three. I think three, they do three, then two. two. So that's like where the bump is yeah. Thursday, Friday. That's where you're going to see somebody get that, knocked off. That's what's amazing about what James did. I mean, first of all, his mentality is amazing because he comes into it knowing it's not his money. And so he's just going to play to his, he's just going to do the best he can and he's going to maximize everything. But 
the way you play like that, Issa A, no jeopardy, know your stuff, and just be on top. Like, that's like pitching like five straight perfect games, you know, as a pitcher. So, uh, props to him. And, like, if you ever watch, uh, that's another question I have for you, um, for you, Ennis. Have you watched regular Jeopardy now? And you, you kind of like, when you're watching it, do you kind of still watch it as a contestant, like seeing what they do? And, you know, now you know what it takes to like answer the questions, but also the strategy and whether it's um, bouncing up and down or even um, wagering. Like, ha- has that kind of changed for you whenever like you flip on the channel and you see it? Yeah. And, and the thing is, and I look at it and I always think, wait, James did it going down up. Uh, I always, yeah. I subconsciously did the force bounce, bounce around the board, not even yeah. thinking about it. I just didn't go straight up and down like everybody else does. I just went bounce here, here, here. Wasn't trying to actively look for the daily double. It just happened. And, and I look at it cause I was looking at your numbers on the Jeopardy fan where you finished, you were 20 of 24 on daily doubles. And I think I was like 19 of 20. I think I was like 19 of 23 or something like that because because I yeah I miss one I miss one because I forgot to say it in the form of a question two in the oh. final game and one in another one because I I had the answer because it was Don Larson and I forgot to say who was Don Larson I was so oh, super excited <laughs> I was yeah, super excited yeah, you know that happened once to me but I think at the very last second I'm like who it is and they actually had to stop taping because they had to like check the audio to make sure I got it in on time but like they actually stopped taping. That's like when you turn your back and I was like, oh, crap, I didn't get it in. But then they were like, OK, that counts. Um, yeah. Did you have any of those moments on the show? Yeah. Where they had to stop taping they for one or two things. Stopped, yeah, because one of the questions that was, I think, game three where I had to run away. Uh, one of the guys said Vevazula as opposed to Vuvuzela. They had to stop and take that question out. And they had one of their extra ones in and because they replaced it with the air raid siren one. And when you're looking, you don't notice they don't call on you and you start looking down you start seeing your lights start go down I'm like oh what is an air raid siren and it's like oh, okay I, I didn't even think anything of it and yeah we had a couple of tape breakdowns other than that you know they did it maybe after round one and had whatever corrections and that was pretty cool oh oh yeah i was about to say any aspirations of going on regular jeopardy yeah i mean i, I take the test every year but i am just not I don't really have the uh, the breadth of information, um, even like presidents, things like that, Bible, just like your normal things. Um, I do it every year. My hope is like I can at least pass the test and then maybe being on the show before will give me a chance. Um, uh, but the cool thing was I got to see some of the producers here in D.C. a few months ago when um, they were in town for some auditions uh, for those people passing the online test. They were at a bar that does trivia that's uh, done by former Jeopardy contestants. So I got to say hi to them. It was uh, it was a Maggie and Karina and things like that. So it, the cool thing is, like, they remember, like, everybody. And, um, you know, they still remember our, the show. And they're like, we wish we could still work on the show. And I just feel bad that, like, a medium like Sports Jeopardy, which a lot of people enjoyed, um, but just didn't really have a chance to grow. Maybe just because of where it was, like, broadcast. It, it, it stinks like people don't have a chance to do what we did. Yeah. So, like, we got to live the dream. We had fun. I mean... We got to go to L.A. We got to go on a game show, meet a really preeminent sportscaster, um, have some fun and, and win money. I mean, come on. That's the American dream, right, Earl? Yeah, that's the American dream. The easiest, I can say, 41000 ever made, even though the government yeah. took a chunk of that. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. It's funny. I, I was dating an accountant at one time, and she was like, yeah, they probably would never have audited you. So maybe you probably didn't have to do your taxes. I'm like, eh, probably better to do it, but. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uncle Sam was not fun for the California game show taxes. Oh, yeah. I heard if you do it in Canada, you get the money straight up. You don't have to worry about taxes. But at least that's oh, what it so was in the 80s. they give you the money after taxes and you don't have to claim anything? I don't, I don't think they take any taxes out. I don't think, cause I think that's how it was in the 80s. If you win, you get the money. You don't have to worry about whatever Canadian federal tax you'd have to pay. That's it. You get the money, nothing taken out. But Wow. Uh, at least that's how I think it was in the uh, with the old game shows they would record in, in Canada, but um, yeah. Okay. I think you know I'm still trying to get on regular Jeopardy because I don't think there's there's been a few people on Sports Jeopardy who's been on who I don't think there's <laughs> yeah no actually on both. I, I saw a guy who I think he lost to Nate no his name was Nate and I think he lost to James in one of the shows and I was like dude I've seen this guy in Sports Jeopardy before and I think he was like one of the finalists on the first season like of the grand champions. When they did that format, I was like, dude, that's like I need. So, yeah, it, it is kind of fun to see some old faces still there. Um, I just like right now, I just do not have the um, the depth of knowledge to go on regular. But, you know, I still watch it at, I don't know what time it airs there. Here it's 730 in New York, it's 7 o'clock. But, yeah. um, and, and Philly yeah. at 7. It's 7 on Philly. It, and like in Salisbury, it's 730. It's, it's weird how you get yeah. them back and forth. Yeah, like DC, I guess DC and Salisbury are kind of the same market. Seven thirty here, and it's it's weird. I, I grew up with with it being at seven, and then wheel at seven thirty. But um, you know, I got one question for you though, okay. Earl. All right, if you could do it over again, would you change anything about your sports Jeopardy experience, or would it just be to go with the flow? I'd go in. I'd go all in on a daily double at least once. Never did. I was always sort of. Uh, sheep as especially they ended up being the ones I knew so it's like man I really wished I had uh, went all in on one so I mean but you know it happens and end up being smart bets yeah man I mean that's the thing right it's like we weren't and also we weren't playing with like real money it was points right yeah. so like you, you wager differently like final jeopardy you can be more you know have a little bit more fun in, on, on our show because of the format you know if you had a runaway game you can write a stupid answer. You know, you don't have to worry about guessing it right or not. Yeah, and I think at that point, I mean, some of them I gave the effort, and other ones, I mean, I, I I would smartly bet enough to win by one. Which is funny. I always say this: I hate it on the prices right when someone tries to bid and one more, but on Jeopardy, I have no issue with someone beating them by a dollar. I I, I just well, you know what it is? It, it's because on, on on prices right, it's not. It's kind of just based on the order that like you were picked. So the last person whose name was called gets like the final say and it's kind of arbitrary in that way it's not like you earned it and i can see why you get pissed off at that but like on jeopardy it is like you have the most money you should be able to do that yeah maybe it's just the whole intellectual part because let's jeopardy gets smart um price is right is it's just being it's being a dick <laughs> it's, a, it's a different part it's a different thing about smart i'm, I'm not trying to make a facebook friend on uh on, on price is right i'm like i'm trying to win my cabinet <laughs> so i can get something better and actually, I think on those shows, like because it is not, it's not cash prizes. I think a lot of people decline the prize because of the taxes. So it was we're lucky we got straight cash. You know, straight cash homes, as uh, <laughs> Randy Moss used to say. Because yeah, like if it was one of those shows where you got like prizes instead, oh god, it'd be awful. Hey, I'm just glad it was for the money. And I, I looked at it; we probably would have made hundreds of thousands of dollars if we played by actual dollars. Yeah, no, I, I saw one of those. I don't know if it was Andy's uh, Andy Saunders uh, website, Jeopardy fan, or um, I think there was some game show blog that did a story about me. It was like I think it was called like Buzzer Blog or something. Yeah. But um, 
I think they did the money calculations. Like, oh, he would have had like 170, 180,000. I'm like, don't tell me that. Um, I mean, it's still real money, of course, but like, yeah. But then again, it's like if we were playing for real money and not points, I like, you know, runaway games, you would you would bet differently, right? I mean, you would yeah. bet not to win by one, but you would bet to, yeah. you know, smart move, make as much money. Win. Yeah, it make you think twice. So in the end, like, aren't you glad we were both selected for like later seasons and not the first season oh, yeah. where there was um yeah that's the one thing i, I think maybe i've uh, through twitter i reached um i've been in touch with people who are on the first season like man i knew so much stuff i could have won 10 shows and you know i'm <laughs> like well that's why i'm lucky at least setting out in the first season so i'm glad that worked out that way it's funny during your run i hadn't i had stopped the point uh maybe a little bit into your run i hadn't really watched it even after the tryouts i just didn't start picking up until my episode started running just so i could figure out because i didn't even know who the defending champ was i didn't know when i played terry he was two-time defending champ or a multiple time defending champ i didn't know i hadn't really watched i started binge watching i started doing watching two minute drill episodes just to make sure i could get ready and then okay at this point okay you know i knew what i was gonna do oh for the lunch i did one day i did a payday bar a burger a salad uh life water and probably something else i didn't try to go too heavy but for me i already know that i gotta have enough fuel in the tank or i'm gonna get hungry and it's gonna distract me and when i saw the donuts i just did this i did a water i did a baby bell and and, and a fruit and that was it because i saw wait they had baby bell ice cream there uh the baby i had the baby bell cheese the cheese wheel uh, it was in the mini fridge in the green room what the hell i just looked <laughs> it's there yeah. yeah, no, I, I, you know, it was weird. I, I remember for whatever reason, I had to go to the bathroom like after every show. Like it was just like that. That just became a routine. Like it became OCD. It was like, okay, win, go to bathroom, new shirt, go, win, go to bathroom. <laughs> we actually had one contestant. He had like a little bit of nervousness. Um, he was in the bathroom for like forty-five minutes Gosh. before he ended up going on the show. Like he was a good guy and everything. He just, I think he had like a bout of nervousness and we were like a little worried. Producers were like knocking on the door and be like, Hey, are you okay? Oh God. Yeah. Didn't fall in there. Did you? <laughs> no, luckily no, 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 uh, no East Ventura or, uh, uh, dumb and dumber <laughs> moment with the toilet. Luckily. Oh. Yeah. I hope if they ever bring back sports jeopardy one, it will be, you know, GSN would be nice because at least the reruns, cause you know, Sony owns it. And then ESPN would be the other choice. Because if they can get that back on there, and it'd be nice if they did a tournament of champions, because man, I would, I would just... love to play you, my friend. That would be pretty fun. Yeah, I, would I just... mean, although, although it, it, it will be like, it'll probably be like, uh, do you watch the Avengers? Yeah. I would be like Thor, and in, I would be like <laughs> Thor in Endgame, way out of shape. <laughs> I would be like, uh, who won in the basketball tournament? Yeah. Um, Old questions. It would be fun, but old questions, I would definitely be nice. rush up on sports for sure. Yeah, I think I'd be old... on like some sort of like Rocky training or something. <laughs> yeah, I think I'd be like Rocky Balboa training because I like that version of going to fly now. Uh, but yeah, when he starts talking about the hurting bombs, that's like, okay, let's do that. You can't do this anymore. You can't run. I'll be trying to read well, with the dog. What would be amazing too, man, is could you imagine if they got a guy like James to go on the show, like James Holzhauer? I mean, that would be amazing. Oh, yeah. You, you know this too it's like most of us knew those answers on the show it's all about the buzzer like yeah you just have to have really good cadence to the buzzer i did i did um, index finger with the buzzer it's just like i felt it was quicker but i, I don't know whether it was quicker or not it might have been a mental thing but well i i also think if you're in the winner's podium i think you're actually the way it's angled you're actually closer to the green light so maybe like if your eyesight's good like everything's everything's even you see the light first compared to everyone else so your impulses are technically a little bit faster 
I don't know. That's what I always figured is like, it's also the same guy for me. It was the same like producer who was like turning on the light. And so I got used to that cadence and I don't know if they like rotate it still or whether it's the same guy, but that kind of helps. Like you really do have a good report. It's like a starting pitcher and a catcher. Like you really got like, you really know when it's coming, the green light. Cause I, like, that's all we're all looking at is that green light. In my first game, one of the things I think Maggie came to me, it's like, yeah, you're too eager on the buzzer. It's just like, all you got to do, look at the screen, read the question, wait till Dan reads. Once you see the light, that's when you're buzzing. And then it started clicking and that's when everything changed yeah. for me. And it's like, you know, you start getting on a roll, you start getting hot. And yeah, then... it's like NBA Jam, man. You're on fire after a while. Like, you really, like, are in the zone, and, and you, you tune everything else out. You literally tune everything out, which is, like, one of the best parts. I actually, one part, of the only part of the show I hated was, like, I think it's the first round after, like, a certain amount of questions, like, two categories. They go to commercial break. You're like, no, what a good roll. <laughs> the momentum, yeah. It's like, yeah, I can feel it. It's like you start getting hot. Just like when they were doing the, the run-throughs, it's like, okay, I start getting hot again. I'm like, okay, pull you. And then, okay, then you figure out who you're going to play. And and, and and it was crazy. It's a great experience, and hopefully we get to do it again. Who knows down the yeah. road? I said the only thing stopping me is death. That's the only thing that is going to stop me if, if they do a tournament. You know what, though? We do need a little sports jeopardy reunion. And, uh, <laughs> let me know if you're ever in the D.C. area. You know, we'll, uh, we'll catch up. It'll be uh, – it, it's actually great. When I was in Boston, I actually uh, met up with the guy who beat me. So I got oh, nice. through my uh, you know, cathartic moment there, you know, like exercising the demons. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, one of the guys, Eric Farinas, who I played against, he lives down. He lives in Millsboro, Delaware. So it's like, yeah, I haven't seen him, but I, I'm I'm gonna try to reach out to him for a podcast, and I'm gonna talk to a few other people too. So you, of course, you're the first in this Sports Jeopardy experience. Yeah, no, thanks for reaching out to me, man. I'll I'll start tuning into your podcast as well. Um, so I'll, how long you been doing your podcast? I've been doing all right. I've been doing it since August of last year and, you know, haven't been doing it straight week by week. Had some technical issues in last December and computer fried. So I had to try to find some other ways of doing uh, of doing a podcast. But once I got a computer up and running, I've been doing that and it's been fun. You learn a lot of things technically, but it is a great experience. And whether, you know, I'm not expecting it to go huge heights. I'm just trying to do something incrementally and try to find a story because I feel like you know, everybody yeah. else got their niche. I just like talking to people and hearing their stories because everybody it's your got passion, a story. man. That, that's what matters. You're passionate about something, you go for it and see where it takes you. And worst comes to worst, you're enjoying your passion. So, and what are ways people can reach out to you on social media? I know you're talking about Twitter. Yeah, and you sure. Um, you can reach out to me at Exit One Thirty on uh, on Twitter. Uh, I still get updates on my Twitter, so feel free to reach out on Twitter. Yeah, I think that's the best way to do it. And like I said, I hope to have you back on again. I want to talk about your yeah. collection of hats as well as you've been changing them throughout the show. I know you have a big collection. I have a friend of mine. Oh, I don't know coworker. what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I, I really don't know what you're talking about. I have a friend, uh, former co-worker, Ben Penserga. He talks about how he got into collecting. He had tons of jerseys. Well, uh, and he had a my, my, Mine's easy. Mine's was, I was going bald at like 22 in college and I... I was like, I never had like a fitted major league cap. And then I think my roommate had an eBay account and <laughs> I found a set of like 10 hats of my sizes different. And they were like really like, like old school eighties hats. And I loved it. And then, uh, yeah, no, it's become per kind of fun. Like just finding new hats. Like I've, I've got the cartoon Oriole bird hat. Um, like the, actually my, my favorite one is this old beat up expos cap, um, little clown hat. So, um, I think every time I go to a Nationals game, I always wear the Expos hat. And I always get a kick when I see other people in Expos gear. But, um, yeah, a lot of it's just functionality. Like, when this started going, uh, you know, the hat was seemed to be natural. 
Uh, Vinny, I do appreciate it. We're going to do this again. I Thank you so much. Awesome. And thank we'll, you, Earl. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It was definitely a long time getting this interview with Vinny Veritarajan together, but it was definitely well worth it. If you enjoyed this episode or know someone who might like this or previous episodes, please feel free to share. Next time, my guest will be Malika Yates, a former cheerleader, dancer, model, and now currently holds the title of Elite Miss Delaware Earth. In this episode, Malika talks about her interest in cheerleading, being a Philadelphia sports fan, recovering from a traumatic brain injury and cognitive concussion, and what it's like being on the pageant scene. You can find this episode and other episodes of the Sports Refuge on our website, or you can subscribe to the show wherever podcasts are heard. Until next time, this is Earl Holland saying thanks for listening and have a good one. You've been listening to the Sports Refuge podcast. For more information about our show and our guests, go to our website at thesportsrefuge.com. Follow us on Twitter at The Sports Refuge, on Instagram at Sports Refuge Sports Blog, and on Facebook at The Sports Refuge Sports Blog. Thank you for listening.